You are listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org. We're in 2 Kings chapter 4, and what we're going to see here tonight, and we won't get through the whole chapter because of our time, but let's take a look at a couple things here. This is really kind of the Elisha miracle highlight chapter. Uh, you know, you've seen those highlight reels of the sporting, uh, different sporting events, right? You, you, they'll show like all the great plays uh, of, you know, the day or the week for this particular sport. That's kind of the way this reads. This is just a, a snapshot of Elisha, uh, miracles that God worked through Elisha's ministry. And it's important to remember that, you know, you read this, sometimes you read the book of Acts and you just think, wow, they were just doing, mir- miracles were just happening all the time. Well, not all the time, but some of the time. But the Bible gives us the highlights so we get you know, some of what God was doing in the nation at this time. The nation of Israel, Judah at this time, they were primarily turning against the Lord. God used the prophets, and he gave those prophets real giftings to speak prophetic words and also the performing of signs and wonders to endorse their ministry and also to glorify God, to call the nation back to himself. Jesus himself would say, if you don't believe me, believe the works that I've done. These are evidences that God is working. God is using my life to speak to you. And so Elisha had this powerful ministry and we see him working. We'll look at, uh, there's, a, there's five miracles. We'll just look at a few of them tonight and we'll see uh, where we are after we look at maybe the first two or three. The first thing we'll notice is the miracle of the oil. Pick it up with me now, 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 1. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me. What do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. And then he said, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons, and then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her, and she poured it out. Now it came to pass, when the vessels were full, that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons live on the rest. So this first miracle, the miracle of the oil, This is a wife, a widow of one of the prophets. So this prophet has passed away and left his wife without income, without an ability to keep up with their living. She has two sons, and now a creditor has come. And this is how it worked in the old world. When you couldn't pay your debts, they would put you into kind of a debtor's workforce, and you would just work off your debt. And for this woman, her sons were about to go into slavery. And so she cries out to the Lord by coming to the prophet and and giving her case to him. It reminds us of Jesus when he turned the water into wine, right? He took the vessels that were there and said, fill them all with water. And then he miraculously turned them 
into wine. But a couple of things here to point out. Notice what Elisha says to the woman. Tell me, what do you have in the house? And this is often the way the Lord works. Uh, Pastor Chuck used to say this. He, he said, God often works um, very naturally supernatural or supernaturally natural. In other words, God will take things that are already in our possession, things that are already naturally available to us, and then God will miraculously work in our circumstance, in our life, in our situation. You remember Moses, when God called Moses, and Moses said, you know, I can't go before Pharaoh and, and tell him to let your people go. How's he going to believe me? Do you remember what God said to him? What's that you have in your hand, Moses? Oh, you mean this old rod, this staff? He said, that's it. Throw it down on the ground. It turned into a serpent, right? God takes what's in your hand. What do you have? Surrender it to the Lord and then allow him to use it miraculously. And so Elisha says to the woman, well, what do you, what do you have? I, have? I don't work. We have nothing. We're going to lose it all. Well, tell me what you do have. Well, I have a little bit of this oil. Okay. Get vessels from all your neighbors. Get as much as you can find and start pouring that oil into those vessels. Take what you have. Give it to the Lord and allow God to miraculously work. Remember when Jesus wanted to, wanted to feed the multitudes. What do we have? Oh, we don't have nearly enough to feed this large amount. Well, what, what do we have? Well, we have this boy's small lunch. Okay, let's, work, let's start with that. And so we see that God is really looking for faith in, in hearts that will at least do what they can do. What do you have? Oh, I can't do that. Oh, that's too hard. The Lord will never use me. I, my life's not usable. What, what, what can you do? What do you have? What is in your hand? What do you have at home? Well, I mean, I guess I could, you know, do that. Well, okay, then start there and allow the Lord to bring increase. Allow the Lord to do what he can do as you give and offer up what you have and what you can do. You know, I remember in my own heart when I was years ago really crying out to the Lord to use my life in ministry. And I didn't know at that time what, what that even looked like. I just knew in my heart there was a stirring, there was a yearning to, to serve him, and that I wanted my life to be more useful in a ministry, kingdom-impacting way. I'd been a Christian for many years, but I wanted my life to be more useful. You ever get to that place where it's like, you know, I love being a Christian, but I want God to actually use my life for his kingdom, for his glory. I want my life to count for something that God would like to do. And, you know, I didn't know what that was, and I didn't have any clue where to begin. But, uh, you know, I did know how to play guitar, my mother had forced me those lessons through junior high, and so I learned how to play guitar, and I'd, I'd always loved music. My wife and I, we met in the junior high choir, so we've always been doing music together. We didn't get married right away. We were in junior high, but we did get to know each other, and I won't go there. Oh, there's so much I could tell you tonight. <laughs> But I, I was really shy with my guitar. I didn't like to play it in front of anybody. It was a kind of a private, you know, personal thing that I liked to do. And one night I was playing it, and the Lord really spoke to me, and he said, you know, I, I, want, you to, I want you to take what you have and, and use it. 
I said, no, Lord, no, I have no desire to play in front of anybody. And the Lord kind of spoke to me, well, would you do it for me? Oh, I said, yes, Lord, you know that I will do it for you. And so it's one of those, what, what do you have in your hand? And that's how the Lord opened the door for my life to begin to start being more useful in the area of ministry. I offered that gift, what I thought was just really feeble and inadequate, but in the hand of God, by the grace of God, by his Holy Spirit, God began to use it, and God began to open opportunity for ministry, and I, I was diligent, I practiced, I learned music, I did my best to, you know, develop that gift to, to the best of my ability, but then it was what the Holy Spirit did as he allowed me to lead worship and bring others into worship. And so what is it that you have? You know, you're in an impossible situation or you, you feel like there's something before you that is unsurmountable. Maybe the Lord would say, well, well, what can you do? What do you have? Do that. Begin to offer that to the Lord. Be faithful in that place and then let let God do what only he can do. You say, yeah, but it's not adequate. Of course it's not adequate. God doesn't want you and I to, to function in our own adequacy, wherein we can take all the glory when things go well. God wants, to, wants us to offer him our weakness, our inadequacy, but faithfully give him what we have, what we can, and then watch and see what the Lord can do. So she went Verse 5, it says, so she went and she did it. You know, she could have said, you know, what good is that, Eli? She could have resisted, but she was faithful. She did what the prophet told her. And this is that step of faith. The Lord, you know, calls you. The Lord stirs something in your heart. You have a sense of taking a step in the Lord, but you think, oh, that'll never work. That's not going to happen. That, you know... Uh, I mean, my whole life, I can tell you that every step I've taken, there were doubts, there were fears. But you know what? In the end, you take that step of faith and you see what the Lord will do. And you will never know. You'll never know what God can do, will do, wants to do if you don't take that step of faith and allow him to work. So her faith manifested by her obedience produces this beautiful miracle. She turned to the Lord, and then she obeyed the Lord's word in faith. And I want to encourage you tonight. Maybe that's all you have. Maybe that's all you have tonight is the opportunity to take a small step of faith in obedience to the Lord. Let the Lord work. Maybe you're overwhelmed. You know, she was in a desperate situation. Maybe you feel like the mountain is too high. What can I do? Turn to the Lord and then Take steps of faith forward in obedience to him and then let him work. He will work. He's faithful. Let's look on. We want to see the miracle of a son. Pick it up with me in verse 8, the next snapshot of Elisha's ministry. Now it happened one day that Elisha went to Shunem, where there was a notable woman. Notable meaning she was wealthy. And she persuaded him to eat some food. And so it was, as often as he passed by, he would turn in there to eat some food. And she said to her husband, verse 9, Look, now I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. Please let us make a small upper room on the wall 
and let us put a bed for him there, and a table, and a chair, and a lampstand, so it will be whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. And it happened one day that he came there, and he turned in to the upper room and lay down there. And then he said to Gehazi, his servant, call this Shunammite woman. When he had called her, she stood before him. And he said to him, say now to her, look, you have been concerned for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She answered, I dwell among my own people. So he said, well, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, actually, she has no son and her husband is old. And so he said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. Then he said, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. But the woman conceived and bore a son when the appointed time had come of which Elisha had told her. A beautiful story, again, of God taking some, something very natural and using it to bring something supernatural. This was a notable woman, which means she was a woman of resource. She, her husband was older, but they were wealthy. She had a home. She had resources to care for this man. And we just see a gift of hospitality. She has a sense that this is a godly man. This is a man serving the Lord. And she just wants to bless him. So she feeds him on a regular basis. Whenever he's in town, he comes there and they, have, they, they take care of him. But her heart wants to do more than that. And this, this desire, this is a good thing. It reminds me of David when David wanted to build a temple for the Lord. He said, you know, Lord, I, I live in a nice house and you're still being worshipped in a tabernacle, a tent. I want to build you a temple. There's this something good from rising up from the heart, wanting to honor God, wanting to bless God. Of course, the Lord said to David, no, David, your son will build the temple, but I'm blessed that you had it in your heart. I never asked for it. I dwell in the heavens. I don't need a house. But the fact that you wanted to bless your God is a blessing to the heart of your God. And so it is with this Shunammite woman. She wants to bless the man of God. He's not asking for it. This is nothing that's, you know, she's under no obligation, but just a generous heart. She has resource and she wants to use that resource to be a blessing. And the Lord blessed her for, for that generosity. She kind of built him a little guest room. It kind of became the prophet's little B&B, &B, right? He had, when he was in town, he stayed there and she fed him. I mean, we're, we're, we, if we can do uh, CSI Jerusalem, then we can have a prophet's B&B, &B, right? The Lord blessed her. She was not looking for anything. He said, what can I do for you? You know, I'm fine. I don't, I don't need any favors, but you know what? Elisha prophesies a child. And of course, it was the Lord, wasn't it? Elisha had no power to, to bring these things about. It was God stirring the heart of the prophet to bless this woman who had shown her kindness and her hospitality and her generosity. But she says, you know, don't get my hopes up. That's, what it, that's the interpretation of, she said, no, don't, don't lie to your maidservant. In other words, uh, Elisha, don't, don't put that in my heart. Don't put that dream. Don't even get me started thinking that that could happen in my life. You ever had that kind of posture in your heart? 
You don't want to even think that, you know, maybe God would do this or that God is going to accomplish this. You don't even want to hear that word of encouragement for, for fear that you'll be disappointed if it doesn't come true. And that's how she felt. You know, she'd lived all these years without a son. She didn't want to start now being disappointed any further. No doubt she'd already felt the burden of that. But within its appointed time, she had a child because the word was of God. It wasn't man. It wasn't a, a, a human encouragement. It was the Lord speaking into her heart. And this speaks to us just about good stewardship, really. This is a woman of resource, a woman who had a, a degree of wealth, but she used it for the Lord. A couple of New Testament scriptures that I'd like to read to you. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 40. He who receives you, Jesus speaking to his disciples... He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly, I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward." Jesus sowing this truth into the heart of his disciples. You know, not everyone is called to be a prophet. But Jesus is saying, you know, but if you'll care for the prophet, if you'll honor the, the gift of God in, a, in someone's life, if you'll respect what God is doing in your brothers and sisters in Christ, if you'll care for them as you care for them, you are caring for me. And if you're caring for me, you're caring for him who sent me. You see the connection. Jesus is letting, the, letting them know, look, as, as your ministry is received and blessed, then that blessing gets passed on to those who are partnering with you in that ministry. They will receive the same reward. We can't all be uh, a Billy Graham evangelist, right? We can't all be, you know, uh, a Chuck Smith, just, you know, such a, a broadly used man or, you know, these people that have extraordinary gifts and ministries. But if, if, if we honor that ministry, if we receive the truth of that ministry, if we embrace that ministry, if we're faithful in whatever part God has given us to play in partnering in the work of the kingdom, then we have the same reward, Hard to imagine that we that someone could could receive the same reward as as a you know someone really mightily used of the Lord. But if you're faithful in those things that God entrusts to you, God is looking for faithfulness, and God measures the heart and reward based on good stewardship. What did you do with what you had? What did you do with the resource that was available to you? How did you use the time, the opportunity, the calling, the giftings that I gave to you? That's what God is looking for. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. That's what this Shunammite woman was doing. 
She was a notable woman, a woman of resource, but you know what? It didn't cause her to be haughty or snooty or, you know, uh, distanced. She reached out. She shared. She was looking to give. She was storing up for a, a good foundation for the time to come. She was laying hold of something eternal as she blessed the prophet. Well, the last one we'll look at here tonight is the miracle of the son being brought back to life. The story advances now. The child has grown up. Some time has gone by. He's still young, but some time has passed. Verse 18. And the child grew. Now it happened one day that he went out to his father, to the reapers, and he said to his father, my head, my head. So he said to his servant, carry him to his mother. When he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, that little room she'd made. She shut the door upon him and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. And so he said, why are you going to him today? Is there neither, it is neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. And she said, it is well. And then she saddled a donkey and said to her servant, drive and go forward. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. And so she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. And so it was when the man of God saw her afar off that he said to his servant, Gehazi, Gehazi, look, the Shunammite woman. Please run now to meet her and say to her, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, it is well. Now, when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet. But, but, but Gehazi came near to push her away. But the man of God said, let her alone, for her soul is in deep distress. And the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. And so she said, did I not... Did I ask a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? And then he said to, to, to Gehazi, get yourself ready and take my staff in your hand and be on your way. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not answer him, but lay my staff on the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. We see that this child of promise is now laying dead back in the prophet's guest room. This woman, she, she didn't want that false promise of a son if it wasn't true. And now her heart is broken. Now that she has the son, even more painful to lose him. We don't know what, how the child died. We, he came out, he said, my head, my head. Maybe it was some type of an injury. Maybe it was some type of heat stroke or some sudden, you know, uh, migraine head, in, head uh, circumstance. But the mother, she, he dies in his mother's arms and she runs quickly to the prophet. Just a couple of things to observe. First of all, why is the Lord even allowing this? Why would God promise a son and bless her with the son only to take him away? And the truth is, as we'll see, and the, the Lord, of course, is going to revive the son through the prophet. But, but this is a great test in the heart of the woman. 
This is, you, you remember Abraham when he, when he finally received Isaac and the Lord said, okay, now offer him back to me, testing the heart of Abraham, his faith, his obedience. The Lord will test our faith. Faith that is not tested is not strong faith. Faith becomes strong. Faith becomes mature. Patience and depth of spiritual character is learned through testing, not when all is well and easy. And so the Lord allows this crisis in this woman's life to draw her into a deeper relationship with himself and a deeper sense of faith in God's goodness and ability to watch over her and her family. Well, the second thing you notice in this test is that she keeps quiet about it until she gets to the feet of the prophet. The husband says, hey, what's going on? Why are you rushing off? It's well. Gehazi, is is everything okay? Everything's fine. She doesn't waste time kind of panicking and and complaining and, and, and airing out all of this fear and all of this anxiety. She kind of keeps quiet until she can pour her heart out at the feet of the man of God. And you've got to understand in her mind, in her time, Elisha meant the Lord. That was her place to pour out her heart unto God. And I like this. I respect this in this woman. I feel like, you know, she, she, she brings her crisis to the Lord. I think many of us would do better if we would keep quiet and bring our crisis to the Lord. She had opportunity to vent out and to break down and to be overwhelmed and to sob and and nothing would have ever come of her son other than his death. But instead, she beelines to the place where she knows she can meet with the Lord. I think that's good counsel for all of us. When crisis stirs, when heartache comes, when trouble mounts, oh, we like to complain, we like to vent, we like to tell all the world our drama And then maybe we'll get around to prayer after we've really let everybody know how horrible our situation is. This woman has none of that. She takes her heart to the Lord. And in the end, he's the only one that can help. It's good to share your burdens with one another for prayer. It's good to talk with mature believers that can encourage you in the Lord. There is some wisdom in that and seeking prayer. But there's also a time to just take it to the Lord and take what your your heart is burdened with to God because he's the one that can help. He's the one that, that is actually allowing the circumstance and why to draw you unto himself. This woman is keeping faith and bringing her need to the to the man of God. And notice in verse 27 that the man of God, Elisha, As she comes and she falls down at his feet, he says, the Lord has hidden it from me. He has not told me. He doesn't know really what's going on. As she shares her heart, he realizes the son has died. But this is kind of a little footnote to it. But, you know, here's this prophet of God. So often he knew exactly what was up because the Lord was telling him. But we see here that he didn't know. Spiritual gifts are not on call. We can't just call up prophecy. We can't just know things. Unless God reveals, we're just in our own wisdom. We're just in our own understanding. And here's Elisha. He doesn't pretend to know. He doesn't pretend to have the word or the wisdom or the insight when he doesn't have it. 
This is a man who knows only God can reveal this to me. I don't know what her story is. Gehazi tries to push her away like she's, you know, coming in and being a little inappropriate at his feet. He says, no, no, let her. She's got, she needs to pour her heart out. She's distressed, and I have no idea what's going on. And so it's almost as if the Lord is working in Elisha too, that this is a, a relationship that God is drawing both of them into greater dependence upon him. In verse 30, she says, he, he tries to send her off with his servant. Okay, Gehazi, take my staff, go and see what you can do with the child. And, and the mother will have nothing of that, right? No, I will not leave you. I won't go, in other words, unless you go with me. Don't send me away with your servant and your staff. You've got to come. This urgency, this tenacity. We saw this in Elisha. Elisha can relate to that, can't he? Remember when Elijah was trying to push him off and saying, okay, I'm getting ready to be caught up with the Lord. You need to kind of keep your distance. And Elisha said, as the Lord lives, as you live, I will not leave your side. So Elisha knew what was going on, that, that insistence, that persistence in prayer, that holding on. Moses, when the Lord told him, when the Lord was frustrated with God's people, he said, you know what? I'm going to send an angel with you, but I'm not going with you. This group is just too hard to be with. Remember that? I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but that's about right. And Moses, what did Moses say? Lord, if you don't go, I don't go. I'm not going without you. I like that heart. That's where this woman's, no, Elisha, you've got to come. There's got to be something, I think, in all of us that says, Lord, I've got to have you. I've got to have your will. I've got to have your purpose. I've got to have your spirit. Without you, I can't go. Without you, I won't go. Without you, I have nothing. There's no hope. There's no, there's no help without you, Lord. We need the Lord. She knew it. She knew that she needed the prophet, and she holds on. It reminds us of Jacob when he wrestled with the angel of the Lord. I will not let you go until you bless me. I think there are times where the Lord will actually create a circumstance in our life where we will have to just really press in and lay hold of the Lord. And it, and it, and it creates this persistence in prayer, the Lord drawing it out, drawing faith, drawing prayer. Well, let's see how the story ends. We'll close here tonight, these last few verses. Verse 31, now Gehazi went on ahead of them and laid the staff on the face of the child Gehazi tried to get out in front of it and, you know, do what the prophet said, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore, he went back to meet him and told him, saying, the child has not awakened. And when Elisha came into the house, there was the child lying dead on his bed. He went in, therefore, shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. And he went up and lay on the child and put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes and his hands on his hands. He stretched himself out on the child and the flesh of the child became warm. He returned and walked back and forth in the house and again went up and stretched himself out on him. Then the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes and he called Gehazi and said, call this Shunammite woman so he called her, and when she came into him, he said, pick up your son. So she went in, fell at his feet, bowed to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. The Lord raises up the child through the persistent prayer 
of the prophet. Interesting, this little prayer scene. Uh, Elisha kind of spreads himself out on the child, and, and the child gets warm, but he's not fully awake. He's not recovered. Elisha gets up. He goes down. He paces the house. He's still praying. He's still crying out to God. He goes back up and lays out on him again. And then the child sneezes seven times. I don't know that there's significance there. The Bible tells us seven is kind of the the number of completion, the number of things being finished. Maybe it was a sign to the prophet that that you've, you've broken through and it's finished. He's fully restored. The boy is fully healed now. And it, it just, you know, sometimes prayers, they have, you have to finish, right? You, you, have to, you have to continue to persist in prayer until you break through. You remember when the disciples couldn't cast out the demon, the demons of, of, the, of the man's son, and the, and the man came to Jesus, you know, I brought my son to your disciples and they couldn't cast out this demon. And Jesus said, bring him to me. Jesus delivered him. He said, this comes out, these come out only by prayer and fasting. Almost this idea that, you know, some spiritual battles take more persistence in prayer and a more kind of hanging in there and finishing and breaking through. Why? Why? Because God is... It, because God's strength is limited and, and he really needs our help in prayer before he can accomplish it. Like, wow, whew, so glad you prayed. I almost couldn't do it for you. No, God's, God's power is limitless. God can in an instant deliver. What is God? Why? What is this? It's God is working in you. He's working in me. He's developing faith. He's developing relationship, a drawing into him. The truth is, when things are easy, they're just easy. And when things come easy, they they don't always bring the, the same value, the same lesson, the same sense of being vested with the Lord that God desires with us. God wants to partner in your life. He wants you to be thoroughly vested with him in his work and the work of his kingdom. He wants you, you know, really laying hold of him in prayer, a relationship that's more than just surface level, surface prayers, la-di-da, all is well. Now, God, God will, will create circumstances for you where you've got to get in there and really pray and really draw close to him. And you've got to break through and you've got to be persistent. Interesting, the boy has a semi-recovery, but he's not fully recovered. Now, have you ever experienced that? You're praying for something, and there's a little sign of help and change, but it's not all there yet. And you have to just keep praying. You have to finish. I think that's what kind of stuck out to me. You know what, Lord, I want to finish well. You know, I've seen the Lord work in my life, and I'm grateful but I know that there's more that the Lord wants to do. I know that the work he's begun in me is not yet completed. Isn't that what the apostle Paul said? I don't claim to have laid hold of it yet. But I'll tell you this, I'm pressing. I'm pressing forward. I'm hanging in there. I'm going to finish my race. I'm going to keep going for what God has set in my heart and what God has put in my life to pray and to, and to pursue because I know that he's going to complete what he's begun in me as I 
give place to that and pursue it with all my heart. We see the prophet, he has to really break through and bring this miracle. God wanted to heal. God never wanted to take this son away from her. He wanted to bless her with a son. But all of this develops faith in her, in the son, and in the prophet. God's working in their lives. What is it that you need the Lord to do for you tonight? We'll finish there. There's more, a couple more miracles, but we won't. We'll, we'll, we'll close here tonight. I'm going to have uh, Mick and Tony come and just close us in a song of worship, if you guys would come up. But um, I want to encourage you tonight that the Lord is faithful. And sometimes the Lord works miraculously. Sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he just works what seems to be naturally. But I want to encourage you that whether, whether it's a miracle or whether it's just day to day, God is working in your life. God is working in your life. The fact that, you know, God is blessing you with provision, you're working hard, but you have a job. God's working through those things. You see, God is, even though there's no like supernaturally seeming miracle going on, God is still faithfully working in your life. But if you walk with the Lord for a long enough season, you know what? You're going to see some miracles. You're going to see God working in ways that you'll know that was the Lord. It could have only been him. I want to just, by, this is my confidence in the Lord. If, you, if you're here tonight, don't raise your hand unless you can really put your finger on what I'm saying. Can you, in your walk, in your Christian journey, can you say honestly tonight that I have seen the Lord work miraculously at times, not day every day is a miracle, but, but I, can, I can remember moments, I can remember events where God worked a miracle in my life. Look around. All, those, all these miracles? All these miracles, really? <laughs> That's my point. I can too. It's, you know, I mean, it's not like every day. I'd like it every day. At least I think I would. But, you know, but I can tell you, I, there's just times when God met me. And that's what's happening in, in this, this account. And that's what God does do in our lives. There are going to be those circumstances. Now, how many of you uh, that raised your hand about that miracle, how many of you, that miracle came in a very deep trial and crisis. Yeah. Okay. So you want miracles? <laughs> Maybe you're here tonight and you say, you know what? I've never really experienced God miraculously working in my life and circumstance. I want to say by faith that in time you will, in time you will, because God is faithful and there will be opportunities in your, in your walk and journey with Jesus where you're going to see his hand so clear, so evident. And that becomes encouragement for us that God is with us, that God is for us, that God is working all things together for good. Let's pray. Amen. Father, we thank you tonight. We thank you for this season. We thank you for the children who ministered to us here tonight. 
And we thank you, Lord, just for the, the account of Elisha's ministry. These were real men and women living through real trial and trouble. And yet, God, you intervened in their circumstance. Lord, some of these miracles are really incredible as we read them. And I have to say, Lord, in some, some regard, I don't know that I've seen anything quite that spectacular in my life. But I can say for certain that I have seen you work miraculously in my circumstance, in my life, in my family, in my ministry, in my journey with you. And I'm trusting tonight that you're going to continue to be faithful. And I want to finish, Lord. You know, we've prayed, maybe some have prayed, and we've seen you work, but God, we want to finish. We want to break through. We want to continue on. We want to finish the race. And so I would ask that you would encourage hearts tonight to persist in prayer, to keep pressing, to keep pushing forward. Like the Apostle Paul, we haven't obtained we haven't laid hold of it yet. But one thing we do, forgetting what lies behind, we press forward toward the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. God, I ask that you would accomplish that in our hearts tonight as we walk with you. As your heads are bowed and we close out in prayer and worship tonight, I want to give an opportunity for, for prayer. If you're here tonight and, and you do not have a relationship with Jesus, and you just want to give your life to him. You realize that what he did at the cross and the resurrection is true. It's real. It's the greatest miracle of all, really, being born again. You may never see another miracle, but the miracle of new life in Jesus is the greatest miracle of all. If you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord, but you feel him drawing you and, and you want to receive forgiveness of your sins, you want to be born again in Christ, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand. Anybody here tonight, you need the Lord. Anyone at all tonight? your moment. The Lord's speaking to you. If you need Jesus, we want to pray. Anyone at all? Well, amen. Lord, may you be glorified in each of our lives. May you be glorified in our time together as we worship and study your word and just fellowship with one another as family here tonight. Thank you for the children and their their ministry, touching our hearts tonight. Thank you, Lord, for the fellowship that we have together. And thank you most of all for your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for us all, that we might know you, that we might have eternal life, that our sins might be forgiven, the miracle of new life within. Thank you, God. We love you. We praise you. May your grace and blessing be upon your people tonight, I ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you tonight. Thank you for listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. We pray you have been blessed by this sermon. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org.